This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, this is Carrie Woodruff, Assistant Professor Lecturer at the Department of Nutrition and Integrative Physiology at the University of Utah. I am also a sport dietitian. I am credentialed with the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And what I love about um, this lecture on wilderness nutrition is that there's so much overlap with sport nutrition. And a lot of the research that we have in wilderness nutrition stems from the field of sport nutrition. So for me, this is a a fun overlap in getting to um, talk about this today. I worked as a wilderness field instructor for a year as well and had opportunities to live out in the field for um, eight-day segments. And so I um, am very familiar with how important it is to nourish ourselves adequately when we're out in the field. So the objectives for today is that we're going to recognize the importance of adequate nutrition for both the rescuers and the patient to understand how to plan food and fluid intake to achieve total daily energy and fluid requirements, and then to identify appropriate nutrition protocols for refeeding the starved rescue victim, as well as other medical situations where nutrition is an important concern. All right, so let's start and looking at the bigger picture of our our estimated energy requirements or what um, the amount of calories that we need because we know that calorie is a measurement of energy. And in your text, you'll see that there are some formulas available. There's the Harris-Benedict formula to help to give an idea of our daily calorie needs. So when we think of total daily energy expenditure, this is comprised of our basal metabolic rate or resting metabolic rate, which are used synonymously with only a a minor difference. There's the thermic effect of food, and this comprises about 5 to 10% of our daily energy needs. Um, Basal metabolic rate, by the way, comprises about 65% of our total energy needs. Then the third component of our total daily energy expenditure is is our energy that we need for movement. So this is our energy expenditure for activity. We can break that down to non-exercise activity thermogenesis and thermic effective exercise. Um, But really, this can be characterized by any of our movements and fidgeting, as well as exercise in which we're engaging. So the most variable component of our daily energy needs does come from that activity component. And I think this sort of makes sense if you think about, you know, what would it look like if you were to lie around all day doing nothing? Well, your body might need only 1,200 to 1,600 calories. But if you are engaging in vigorous activity, if you're going for a long hike with backpack, heavy backpack and carrying a lot of materials um, and you're hiking rigorous terrain, well, your energy needs could be almost two and a half times that which you would need of just sitting at rest. So as an example, you can use the Harris-Benedict equation, and this can be found on the internet, but I am a 41-year-old female. I weigh about 125 pounds and I'm five foot four. So when I enter in my information into the Harris-Benedict equation, I need about 1,300 calories just to sit around and do nothing for 24 hours a day. But if I'm going to put a heavy pack on and I'm going to go hiking for seven or eight hours a day, I'm going to need 3,000 calories. And that, that's you know almost two and a half times the amount that I would need if I were to be sedentary. So this just speaks to the significant increase in our daily calorie needs when we are um, engaging in some of this rigorous activity 
out in the wilderness. So that's an important consideration. And if you're curious as to what your energy needs are, you can always look this up on the internet by looking up the Harris-Benedict equation and you enter in your age, your height, your weight, your sex, um, and it'll give you an estimate based upon your estimated activity. So that's one piece to consider is, is recognizing how many more calories we can eat when we're out in the wilderness. Then we can look at calories and break that down to the macronutrients and micronutrients. When we think about macronutrients, those are going to be our, um, our calories that come from carbohydrate, from protein, and from fat. Um, and, and then we also have water. Now water doesn't give us calories, but it's an equally important nutrient to be looking at. Um, water is something that we cannot live without water um, for very long. You know, we can live a lot longer without calories, without food than we can without water. So water is an equally important consideration. Think about all the functions that water performs, right? So it serves as a transport medium for different um, different substances in our body. It helps to maintain our body temperature and muscular functioning. It also acts as a solvent for chemical reactions. It's a lubricant and shock absorber and also helps with waste removal in our bodies. So it's really important to um, recognize our water requirements, which can be quite considerable when we're out in the wilderness. The challenge with water is that unlike specific other specific nutrients, with water we don't have as precise of a set of recommendations for how much water we need. And that's partly because it's so variable. So our body size, the environmental conditions, our body composition, our percent um, body fat compared to lean body mass, um, as well as the variability in our sweat rate, these are all going to determine our fluid needs and um, really indicates how variable these needs can be. Now the dietary reference intake suggests that females get approximately 2.7 liters or 2,700 mils a day and that men get 3.7 liters or 3,700 mils milliliters a day um, for individuals ages 19 to 50 just as a general um, frame of reference. However, as, as reference, these needs really sig significantly vary from individual to individual. One general rule of thumb um, that sometimes we can use in the field, so to speak, is if you were to take your body weight and divide that by two, um, that can give you a starting point of how many ounces a day that you might want to consume. Um, and then recognizing that in really hot temperatures, um, even really cold temperatures at higher altitude related to sensible water loss, um, we can be losing significant amounts of fluids. And if it's especially dry climate, we may not be aware of those fluid losses as they are evaporating. Um, so we do have some general guidelines to recognize, um, um, to set some recommendations for how we can approach our fluid intake when we're out in the wilderness. So thinking about before we head out into the field, trying to drink at least 15 to 20 ounces um, so that we're you hydrated or in good hydration status heading out. Thinking about drinking 200 to 300 mils every 15 to 20 minutes, that's approximately eight ounces 
um, every 15 to 20 minutes. And um, we do know that it's probably going to be better um, tolerated if we do break it up into 15 to 20 minute sections instead of waiting on the hour to try and chug 24 ounces, for example. Sometimes that's not as well tolerated. So if you have a water pack, a hydration pack, if you have a water bottle, have that handy and accessible so that it helps to prompt that frequent drinking. When you're done, if you've um, gone out for a long hike or a rigorous, um, rigorous activity out in the, in the woods, think about rehydrating with even up to 150 to 200% of the fluids that you may have lost. And we'll talk about some ways to estimate those fluid losses. Um, and that's because it takes us even more water to drink afterwards to try and make up for what we lost while we were being active. An example of this would be if I know that I lost about two pounds while I was out on a hike one day, that's going to be approximately um, 32 ounces. And so for me, I'm going to want to try and drink about 48 ounces to account for the, um, that water loss as I'm trying to recover from that activity for that day. So thinking about one and a half to two times the amount of water that we lost is what we want to be replacing that with. There are some um, suggestions for helping to improve your fluid intake while you're out there. Um, adding flavor to your water. And there have been a lot of studies in the sport nutrition realm that have shown that, um, for example, if you offer athletes Gatorade or another um, sport drink that has some carbohydrate, has some electrolytes, that actually helps to prompt greater fluid intake than if it were just plain water. So the fact that it's flavored can encourage greater water, greater fluid consumption, I should say. Um, we do like the added carbohydrate and electrolytes, not only because that helps to stimulate greater fluid intake, but we know our body needs those carbohydrates, and we'll be talking about that. And with electrolytes, particularly sodium, we can lose high amounts of those electrolytes as we're sweating, and so we want to be replacing those electrolytes in those fluids that we're consuming. So thinking about sports drinks um, and other fluids that have some carbohydrate and making sure that we're getting some sodium as well. And we'll continue to talk about this. Now thinking about, um, when we think about electrolytes, it's helpful to think about why they're so important, right? So when we're consuming fluids that contain electrolytes, those electrolytes are really gonna help to draw water into the cells and help our bodies to use that fluid that we're consuming. Um, and so sports drinks actually have some pretty credible research to support their efficacy. Um, sport drinks are formulated to contain the proper amount of carbohydrate, which should be around a 5 to 8% concentration of glucose. And they have the recommended amounts of electrolytes, particularly sodium, um, which ideally we would like to see around 500 to 700 milligrams of sodium per liter of fluid. Now, I, I think it's helpful to recognize, too, some individuals don't like sport drink, and that's fine. Some people will drink um, juice or, or half water, half juice. And as long as we're consuming sodium from other foods that might be salted, then that's going to be equally as effective to increase our electrolyte consumption. So it doesn't have to be an electrolyte drink. Maybe um, you're drinking water, but then you're taking an electrolyte tablet, tablet like a sodium, a noon tablet, 
And then you're having a carbohydrate source in the form of a banana or a granola bar. Um, those are all ways to meet your needs. But we want to think about fluids, we want to think about electrolytes, and we want to think about carbohydrates. And you can identify the foods and fluids that you enjoy that help to meet those needs. Now, we talked a little bit about how to, how to replace the fluids that we lost and we, um, this requires us to know how many fluids did we lose. Um, I do actually recommend that occasionally you take a pre and post hike um, weight, and that will help to give you an idea of how much you're sweating when you're out on your hikes and out in the wilderness. So if you're heading out for the morning, um, you'll want to wear whatever clothes that you anticipate wearing throughout the day, and you'll take your weight. And then when you Get back at the end of the day, take your weight again. And ideally, we're able to add to that weight difference, adding in any um, the weight of any fluids or foods that we consumed, as well as any urine losses. And we can estimate this. So let's say that I went out for um, an eight-mile hike and I lost two pounds. Now, that two pounds will be coming from water losses. I didn't lose two pounds of fat mass, for example. Um, in, in such a short time frame, we know that those um, losses are coming from fluids. So if I know that I lost two pounds, I also know that I drank, let's say, 32 ounces. So I'm going to add those 32 ounces um, to the two pounds, which is 64 ounces. And then I know that I probably urinated around 1,200 mils. And so I would add that um, to the amount of, of fluids that I lost. And so the goal here is to be able to account for all of the weight that was lost coming from fluids. I also want to make sure that I'm weighing myself both before and after in the same clothing to try and um, minimize any sort of error in these pre and post hike weights. And this isn't something that needs to be done every time you go for a hike, but get in, getting an idea of you know how much weight are you losing in those long summer hikes in which you might be engaging or in the winter when you go out for a long backcountry ski how you know how much is your weight changing um, from the time that you start from the time that you finish and accounts for any sort of fluid and um, foods that you consume so I think um, practicing this a little bit can be helpful in getting an estimate. We don't need to replace 100% of the fluids that we lost. It's recommended that we try and minimize any body weight loss of more than 2%. So my goal doesn't need to be that I replace 100% of the fluids that I lost. But if I estimated that I lost about four liters of fluid over the course of four hours, my goal is to try to consume probably at least 700 50 mils per hour to minimize um, those fluid losses. You can take that total loss and divide it by the time, and that can give you a plan of how many milliliters of fluid per hour that you want to be consuming. The other consideration when we're thinking about sweat rates, electrolytes, fluids, is also being mindful if you're a salty sweater. And this sounds kind of strange, I think, when we first think about that. But if you've ever gone out for a run or exercised and you notice that you might have that white rim of salt around your forehead and the side of your face, um, some individuals will get some of that white rim um, around the collar of their shirts. That indicates that you lose um, a lot of sodium in your sweat. 
And so for individuals who are salty sweaters, you just need to be a little bit more proactive about making sure that you are including either salty foods and or electrolyte replacement beverages in your um, in your wilderness nutrition plan. So that's another consideration. Um, and as I mentioned, sometimes individuals just find it easy to take a noon tablet or, or other sodium tablet. But also keep in mind that a lot of the foods that we take out into the wilderness, if you think about um, jer meat jerkies, beef jerky, if you think about trail mix, nuts, um, a lot of these foods can be heavily salted. And so you'll also want to be looking at the sodium content of, of the foods that you're taking with you because you might actually be getting plenty of sodium. So looking at the labels and aiming to get, we estimate around 500 to 700 milligrams of sodium um, per liter of fluid, um, which would um, be sufficient fluids for about an hour, hour and a half. Um, again, coming from food or coming from fluids. There is also a risk, however, just to note of getting too much water and not enough um, electrolytes. So um, if you think about this is most often seen in individuals who compete in, in long endurance events, marathon runners, ultra endurance runners, and if they're only drinking water as their replacement beverage and they're not consuming any electrolytes, essentially their body just isn't able to retain all of the fluids that they're consuming. Um, and they're also diluting um, the electrolytes that they have. And this can result in um, dangerously low um, sodium serum sodium levels. So this also speaks to the importance of just making sure that we're getting enough sodium um, through fluids and or through food. Um, and, and circling back to our, our fluid plan, it can be difficult to know exactly um, the, the challenges of knowing how much fluids we should be consuming. But I think we all know that sense of what it starts to feel like as we become dehydrated. So thinking about the lightheadedness, getting a headache, um, starting to feel more fatigued, lethargic. Um, if you are urinating and you're able to see the color of your urine, if it's starting to become a lot um, darker than the color of lemonade, those are all indications of dehydration. So just being mindful of um, drinking sufficiently, trying to get 200 to 300 mils every 15 to 20 minutes to prevent the risk of dehydration. There are some vitamins like riboflavin, other foods like beets, carrots, asparagus that can change our urine and can be misleading. So if all of a sudden your urine is red, but you remember you ate beets the night before, um, can be just a friendly reminder that um, you may not actually be um, having blood in your urine. So thinking about all the foods that we're consuming. Foods can contribute to our fluid intake. Um, foods actually contribute generally around 20% of our daily fluids. Um, but I also remind individuals that in the wilderness, the foods that we're consuming sometimes are a little um, have a lower fluid content than some of the foods we might be consuming when we're not in the wilderness. Because foods that are high in fluids, like fruits and vegetables, even soups, um, those are foods that will contribute greater fluids but are harder to pack into the wilderness, whereas dehydrated foods, dried foods, are going to have lower water content. So we can estimate that up to 20% of our fluids can be met through food, um, but really we want to be proactive with having a good hydration plan. Okay, so that is the nutrient of water and um, really cannot be emphasized how important it is to have a fluid plan as we're heading out into the field. I'll start to talk about carbohydrates um, in this first part and then we'll pick up uh, with the rest of the macronutrients in a second part. 
So carbohydrates are our body's preferred fuel source. If we think about the efficiency with which our body can break down carbohydrate and use that source of energy very quickly for our active muscles, um, really speaks to how important it is to consume sufficient carbohydrates in our, in our nutrition plan. Um, we also know that our, our central nervous system, our brain, uh, does very well to have a consistent source of carbohydrates to support our concentration and um, our, our cognitive ability. So carbohydrates are important. And if you've ever had that experience of hitting the wall, so to speak, where um, you feel like you're exercising and all of a sudden you just have no energy and you just need to stop what you're doing right then and there because you, you hit the wall, um, that proverbial hitting the wall is, is most often caused by depleting our stored carbohydrate, those glycogen stores that we have in our liver and in our muscles. We can store about 300 to 400 grams of glycogen in our body, and we can also quickly deplete those within um, one or more hours of intense exercise or several hours of moderate intensity exercise. So if we think about even um, moderate levels of activity, we want to be getting at least five grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. And for individuals who are be going out um, like wilderness rescue, if you're going to be out active for several hours of the day or longer, we want to think about getting six to 10 grams of carbohydrate for every kilogram of body weight. Now to take your weight and to find your weight in kilograms, just take your body weight in pounds divided by 2.2. And then if you think about a low level of activity, multiply your weight in kilograms times five. That tells you how many grams of carbohydrate. And if you're going out for the whole day with packs and, 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 um, and carrying a lot of supplies, then you want to be getting upwards to 10 grams. So take your body weight, multiply it by 10, and that's how many grams of carbohydrate. It can be hard to eat all of that at once, so having a plan to have a consistent carbohydrate consumption throughout our work. If you're going out on a rescue trip, you know, can you make sure that you're having 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate every hour? And um, this can be accomplished by having a package of Fig Newtons and a banana. This can be accomplished with a Clip Bar. This can be accomplished with 16 ounces of Gatorade and a granola bar. So there's lots of ways to meet our carbohydrate needs, but we need to have a plan. And hopefully that plan includes consuming a minimum of 30 upwards to 60 grams of carbohydrate every hour um, to help to keep those muscles fueled, help to keep our central nervous system functioning well, and um, just making it an overall um, more positive experience. There are recommendations after exercise. Um, we want to get approximately one to one and a half grams of carbohydrate for every kilogram of body weight in each hour after exercise for the first two hours. Um, but you know, that's going to be approximately 50 to 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour. And if you think about the types of foods um, that you might be consuming after a long hike, if you come back and you have um, a smoothie, and then maybe an hour or two later, you have a meal with some pasta and some chicken and some vegetables, it can be easy to meet those carbohydrate needs after exercise. Really, I find the most important um, piece is to make sure we're heading into exercise well-fueled and that we have a plan to maintain those carbohydrate stores during exercise of 30 to 60 grams. A final note about carbohydrate, um, it's important to also look at the risk of hypoglycemia, and especially if you're out in the wilderness and with someone who might be experiencing hypoglycemia, or even if you yourself is experiencing hypoglycemia of a blood glucose level of or below 70, um, and 
certainly the lower that that drops, the greater the risk that poses. Um, we like the, the 15 in 15 rule of consuming 15 grams of carbohydrate um, in 15 minutes, rechecking blood glucose levels if possible, if you have access to those materials, um, and then consuming another 15 grams and waiting till um, normal glycemia uh, is restored. Now, some tips for achieving that would be um, if you carry uh, glucose tablets, that'd be about four tablets. Um, it's equivalent of about a tablespoon of honey. It's a tablespoon of jelly. It's going to be the equivalent of two shop blocks um, of the Cliff product, about five to six Lifesavers, two tablespoons of raisins. So these can all be foods that you have with you. It's just a matter of making sure you have those foods with you. So if you have a little emergency pack, always aiming to have, you know, a couple tablespoons of raisins or having some glucose tablets with you in the case of hypoglycemia. So thank you so much for listening. This concludes part one of our Wilderness Nutrition Podcast, and we'll pick up with part two.